Welcome to Conversation Mill. My name is Rebecca Dale and I am the host of the show. I have a passion for sharing how the creation of thriving local economies benefits us all. I'm fascinated by how we come together to form our communities on a macro and micro scale and how our histories and stories when shared can not only motivate and inspire, but can facilitate understanding. As our communities, large and small, bring back a more progressive Main Street, individuals are stepping out to pursue their passions and local leaders are pushing back against corporate greed. It's time to engage these community leaders and small business owners in conversation. What are the driving forces behind their courage and success and how can we continue to build communities that embrace diversity, support the local economy, and create a healthy ecosystem for the culture at large? Join us now in conversation. Choices, the newest theme to the creative mind of Cassie Pauly. She has had many choices over the years, but recently had the choice to push through and come out the other side of cancer or give in. Cassie chose to fight and hold on to her creative spirit. In this episode, Cassie shares her love of the water and how the ocean is her healing place. Her underwater photography has become her hallmark, and she is preparing to take her artistic vision to the next level. Join us in conversation as we look ahead to 2023 and discuss Cassie's approach to the art she creates. So today I want to start with the present and where you are at now. I know the ocean, the water, being in the water is your happy place. Mm -hmm. How many days till you can be back in the water? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the happy place. I'm looking at about December 20th. So what is that, like 21 more days and all my treatments are done and everything should be healed and I am in the water. That is awesome. If you don't mind, can you share a little bit with me and the listeners about your journey? I don't mind talking about it at all. I think it's important to talk about it. Um, In the beginning, I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about it, but when I found that talking helps other people as well as me. Mm -hmm. So a year ago, September, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. And right away, you just start spinning. One thing after another, I got to do this, you got to do that. This, this, it just lines up and you just keep going with it because you don't know what to do, but you're listening and you're researching and you're just doing, you're in it. Yeah. And while you're in it, everything in your normal life that you had is falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> it's a year later, so we're doing better. Yeah. Especially, I mean, your career, right? Because you had to, I mean, just physically, you couldn't carry the equipment, I would imagine. Nope. Um, in the beginning, like you go right into a mastectomy, right? Mm-hmm. Can't carry gear. You're on the couch. Um, then you go right into chemo and then you lose your brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to figure out what's on Netflix and I don't watch TV. So it was a very interesting year of television. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and even to this day, um, I'm sore. Mm-hmm. Five surgeries, infections, just constantly something happened to me and yeah. just keeping my head up is, you know, laughter is big. You have to just laugh and move through it. And I finally see the end in sight. I'm so excited, you know, but I'm kind of starting fast. Cause like, 
I have jobs the next four days because I'm, and I have to hire people to carry my gear right now because can't yeah. carry it. <laughs> During that time, and you thought about getting past the surgeries, getting past the infections, getting healed, getting stronger again. Were you thinking about what is my career when I come out of this? Or were you not even, was that so far on the back burner? You go in and out of, I don't want to say a bad word, but you know, uh, to, I got this. No, you don't. Yes, you do. No, you don't. You know, you're, you're playing with your, your head's playing games on you. Mm. And I literally, um, I kind of felt like I was done. Like, mm. there's no way I'm going to recover from this. There was a pandemic and I only started working for three months and then boom, I'm in cancer. And so how do you keep yourself in, in the eye of the vendors, the, the coordinators? And how do you stay present when you have no brain? I mean, it yeah. took everything you have just to get through your day. Mm. Um, I would do one minute at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time. I couldn't see. I couldn't see to now. Yeah. Like, I had to stay here right now. And that was frustrating. But I think I, you know, when I had the mastectomy, I did a piece because I had won an award and I felt like I should enter again, even though I didn't feel like it. Yeah. And I got off the couch and I designed this piece and I got done with it. I'm like, I'm going to be okay. Like, this is going to be okay. When I found out I had cancer, I'm like, I have art. But as your brain is going away and the pain's coming in, you're like, really? Do I really have art? Am I really going to make it? You know? And it it did keep me going. Yeah. And just recently, my passion started again, like full on passion again. And I love it. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about your career in photography. And and we're kind of starting backwards here. But when I first encountered your art, it was focused around the underwater photography you're doing, specifically the hula dancers. So let's start with that and the underwater photography. When did you decide to take the camera underwater with you and start doing photo shoots underwater? It happened about eight years ago now. I was playing in the shore break, and for someone that surfs and paddles and very water person, I slammed myself into the shore break and severed my ACL. So then I couldn't go in the water. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't work. I couldn't do weddings. But I had staff. Other people went to work. And I had to sit at the computer. And I hated it. So I bought a water housing. (laughs) Stuck it in. Leg in a a cast. Went in the water. And just fell in love with it. Mm. Um, About three years of doing that. Learning to walk a couple times. My work looked like everybody else's. Mm. And then, so this was like four years ago now. I was like, I want to do this, but I can't look like everybody else. And I just started teaching myself, finding classes, going to school online. And I created the art. And I was like, I'm going to do hula dancers. And then I did hula dancers. And I did goddesses and mermaids. And now it's it's art. It's not just another photo like everybody else is underwater. So that's how it happened. Break your leg. There's got to be inherent potential dangers of doing photography underwater. Are there dangers or is there an added layer of something? I mean, obviously you're breathing underwater. Or are you using oxygen? What's the process of process. getting that, that shot? Well, underwater, um, I do free diving from breaking my leg or severing my ACL, learning to walk. I learned how to swim. I didn't know mm-hmm. what a bad swimmer I was. I was a surfer. You had a board, you lost it. You got to it, you know? I can swim for days now, but I learned to swim and I learned to hold my breath. I learned free diving. 
And so learning how to regulate your breath underwater. Everybody says, use a tank. You know, you can go down there and just get photos. Yeah, I could. But when I'm doing photography underwater, I'm creating an experience with somebody. Mm. You're with me. Now, I usually use a pool, very seldom in the ocean for several reasons. I can tell you about that if you want. But we go up and down together. And I look at you and I go, okay, now this time do this. And this is how I want you to hold your breath. This is let go of your breath. You know, I work with you. And I taught surfing years ago. And I could tell how somebody fell on what to correct, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So you don't want to overload somebody. So I just work with somebody and we work together to go up and down. And I've learned breath holds. And that's a dangerous thing, actually, you know, learning to do it properly. But, yeah. You yeah. mentioned free diving and, and learning about the breathing techniques. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit about that with us? I am not a diver at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on my, what, what would really be the comfortability with yeah. being in the ocean and I respect it so much, but it's a fearful respect. Yeah. So I'm just getting comfortable practicing my swimming in the ocean. I can't imagine free diving right now. So could you share a little bit about that experience of learning to free dive and, and what that's like? It's one, it's beautiful down there. I love being underwater. It's my happy, like you said, happy place. You know, yeah. when you're down there, you don't think about anything else. It's just peaceful. So learning how to do it, I knew I needed lessons. So I have a friend that's very, very good free diver, spear fisherman. I had to go to the pool. I had to learn to swim again, like even better, how to breathe properly on surface so that when you dive down, you're, you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. And the f- craziest thing I found is when I was practicing my free diving in a pool and I didn't have a camera in my hand, I had a hard time staying down. But you put the camera in my hand, I will stay there all day. Yes. Like, They've timed me over three minutes, which isn't huge, but it's, it's a good amount. Yeah. But only with the camera in my hand. It took a while to get to do that without the camera because it, it, it's my happy thing, too. You know, it keeps me focused. But it's still hard to free dive. Yeah. You know, um, the breathing techniques of letting the air out, you know, and knowing that you still have air. Yeah. You know, and just being comfortable. You can't be panicked. If you panic, you're, you're done. Mm-hmm. And like you said, with the ocean, you have to be very respectful. I mean, I got slammed in it and I know water. I, I'm comfortable in it, mm-hmm. you know, but there's always, you know, the lifeguards, if in doubt, don't go out, you know, yeah. don't go. If you have any hesitation, feel yeah. that. I'll stare at the water. If I'm going in the ocean, I'll watch it before I go in. I will mm-hmm. sit on the beach, especially if it's rough and there's surf. I watch it. I watch before I go in. I don't just pop in the water. Where's the current? What's going on here? How am I going to get out? If I go in here, do I, I'll get out over here by the time. So you learn it. You have yeah. to learn that stuff. With the underwater photography, how long are you going underwater with your subject? How many seconds is that? I'm usually down there a long time and they're not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the average person I will put in the water up to their neck. Okay. And then we'll go up and down together with just seconds, just learning, seeing what each other's doing. And then once I get the person doing what I need them to do, I'll let them know that I'm going to go to the bottom. Give me about five seconds or my assistant will tell them when to go. And then they can just go up and down as much as they want. I'll just stay on the bottom for a while. So I'll, I've learned my breath holes to let it out enough to stay as long as I want. And it's, it can do anywhere from, you know, up to three minutes is about average for me. So if the client's really doing good, but if they don't come down after like 20 seconds, I go up and get air. You yeah. know, but it's like you just let them do their thing because 
if we're going up and down together all the time, I'm not going to be in position. Mm-hmm. Like I'm looking for a certain look. I want a reflection. I want certain things. So depending on what my sunlight is doing, what the client's doing, I get myself to that buoyancy, whether it's on the bottom of the pool and the surface of the pool and between, I get myself there with my buoyancy. Okay. And yes, I do use free weights here and there. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to ask because you're shaking. I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and how heavy is your camera in that housing that the camera's in? Mm-hmm. And then how heavy are the free weights you're using? My housing is a surf housing, so it's buoyant. Okay. It floats. So if I wanted surf housing because I go in the ocean, I don't want to drop it and it sinks. Right. right. I drop it if I have to help somebody or that my camera will go right to the beach and hang out and wait for me. Yeah. Okay? So it's not heavy at all in the water. Above water, it's about 15 pounds. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to get it in the water, you know, because I have heavy gear still. I'm changing that out. Mm-hmm. My free weights that I use have to help counter that. I use it more for that. I'm probably using 16 pounds on me wow. average when I'm using the housing. When I don't use a housing, I use maybe 10 or 12 yeah. when I'm out in the ocean without a house, without my camera. Mm-hmm. It just depends. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had any moments free diving in the ocean that panic did set in or fear did set in? And what? (laughs) I'm just, I love to hear those stories because, well, one, it helps me feel better about the panic I sometimes feel. But I think it helps other people, too, to know we all experience it, but also here's how to cope with it. I've only had... It wasn't free diving, it was surfing. It was my only bad experience underwater, but I was lucky that I talked to other big wave surfers and I got myself worked so hard that they taught me how everything came in my head. Relax under there, relax under there, spread out, you know, what you had to do to survive that situation. That was probably my worst experience was surfing. It was a pretty big day and a storm. Yeah. When it comes to the free diving side, the only time I had a small panic was the first time I ran into a shark. And all I did was turn and go, get out of there, just get out of here. And now I've learned you don't have to get out of there, you know, because, and I'm trying not to kick, I'm trying to be really quiet. I don't want to click my camera because I make noises, you know, I don't want to draw attention. And I'm like, I didn't even get a shot. Like, shame on you. Um, But I've learned now that when I do see a shark, I just go with them. Mm. I swim. If they're going that way, I just keep going that way and and thin myself off or if they're asleep I don't bother them but I'll go down and look and I stay away but they don't scare me like they used to yeah you know um you see when you want to be able to stay down longer you know and you got to come up for air at some point but um that's been it because other than that rough water doesn't bother me fish don't bother me deep water doesn't bother me so the shark did the first time yeah now it's like I saw a shark eh? yeah (laughs) you know there is something about I've even had it snorkeling here and coming around coral and having a turtle be right there and you're not expecting it and just that like you just you know all you know all the only thing your brain processes is there's something alive and bigger yeah uh, in front of me and then once you realize you're a turtle it's a turtle jump yeah (laughs) I was like oh oh it's a great it's a whole new great but yeah so I I can only imagine what my reaction would be if I came around and it was a a shark a little bit bigger than a turtle yes Uh, being in the ocean you have to always be aware Mm -hmm. where if I swim laps at the pool which I haven't done a long time because I don't like pools but they're good for techniques and 
you know, getting back into this, which I will be at the pool soon working yeah. on. But in the ocean, there's never a quiet. You're looking. You're mm -hmm. constantly aware. And so when I have worked in the ocean, I always have a lifeguard with me. Okay. So especially yeah. out in Mexico, I have traveled with one lifeguard and I have another one down there. So they're with me. So That's I don't great. have to think about it. Yeah. I'm working with the client. The sea lions come around. They're keeping them away. Whatever we got going on, we're good. Yeah. yeah. It's keeping alert. Those turtles will scare you. <laughs> they like, sneak up on you. Especially in murky water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where did your love for the ocean come from? Or has it just been this innate, you feel better when you're by the water? Um, I've always, as a kid, gone to the water. I had surfing pee in high school. Mm. I ditching school to go to the beach. Um, yeah, I was busted a few times. Um, <laughs> I've been fortunate. I've always lived by the water. I love storm water. I just love the water. And living here, I found it to be relaxing for me. So anytime I travel and I'm away from the water too long, I'm like in a shower, you yeah. know, <laughs> I put some water on my head. I, I just, the ocean is calming. I like being by it. Yeah. I always have. You lost my mom can't find me I'm down at the beach yeah yeah from little kid days you mentioned taking surfing PE where did you grow up I grew up in Southern California in Torrance near Redondo Beach okay so my high school had surfing PE and so you could take that as a class when there's no waves you had to run the beach I mean what perfect why don't we have that here you know, like, seriously yeah. go to the beach before school surf and go to school you're happy yeah you know, how can you not be happy after being in the water oh so, what yeah. a wonderful thing for kids to have well especially in high school for high schoolers to have that like release yeah. of being out in the ocean and starting your day in nature uh, overcoming right you need to overcome those waves and you and having a moment to succeed before you even start your day that's my favorite thing yeah. I prior to cancer I was at the I'd leave my house crack of dawn, whatever time it was, five thirty or six. As soon as there's a little light, yeah. ride my bike for two to five miles, pick my beach, swim a couple miles and come home. Mm. That's the best way to start the day. I'm getting back to that. Yeah. I'm on my way. What are the hardest things of photography underwater? We kinda mentioned the ability to stay down for long enough to get a couple shots in, but you mentioned briefly the lighting. Um, so how does that play in? Lighting is everything with yeah. photography. Photography is like how you, you know, you're shooting photography. It's all about the light, no matter underwater or below, well, below water or above water. It's yeah. about light. You don't have light, you're not going to get an image, right? Mm -hmm. So in the ocean, in the ocean, the best time of day is middle of the day. You want that light coming down. If you're early, you have to set the light behind you so it's on the subject. Mm. So just like above water, I, when I teach photography, I'm always like, look at your hand. And then move around. Here it gets dark. Here it gets light. Shoot into that. You shoot into this, you have a shadow. Yeah. But what do you want? Like, then, then it's down to creating what look you want. Yeah. So underwater, I'll do things like if I want a silhouette, I'll go on that side. The sun's over there. Put the mermaid over here. They're dark and there's rays coming through, so it's silhouetted. If I want to see them, I have to go on the other side sure, so that I can shoot with light falling on them. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And then the deeper you go, the more color you lose. So the good thing about most of my clients, they don't go very deep. Right. 
<laughs> so I can usually get below them or wherever I want to be. But most clients, if I can get them to 10 feet, I'm like, that's really good. Wow. Most are like three feet, five feet. Yeah. So I can make it look like a bigger ocean. I can get deeper than them or whatever needs to be do. But light's very important. You've mentioned shooting some in the ocean. Ha- you do most clients in a pool. Have you done any in the ocean? Or when you do ocean, are you mainly doing nature photography? I do both. Yeah. So you can do somebody in the in the ocean. You have to be very cautious because the the dress, if you're doing a gown or something, they wrap around legs. They go all over the place. Or they can't stand because we're usually in deeper water. Right. So I have... I create the costumes or they can bring their costumes. I have a closet full and I collect. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> but whatever you put them in, it needs to be something that's easily to get out of. Safety is always first. Mm-hmm. You know, their ability, they have to like pass that test. You know, I got to know that they can do this. You know, people say they, they swam all their life and then you get them in a dress in the water and they're drowning on you. Right. I, I have insurance. I don't want to use it. You know, it's like we're not going there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, mermaids are a lot easier in the ocean. Most of them know how to swim. They know how to work a tail. So it's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So it just depends. I do a lot of that down in Mexico, though. Okay. Yeah. It's a better, better water, more fish. Mm. We don't have a lot of fish anymore. Right. It's sad. It, is, it really is. Yeah. You've been on Maui a long time. Can you talk to us about your journey from Southern California to Maui? How did you end up here? When I was 12, my mom sent me to Oahu, and I fell in love. Just fell in love. Catching the bus to the North Shore, jumping off Waimea. I loved it. I kept saying, I'm going to move to Hawaii. And I did. Got out of high school and moved to Hawaii. Wow. <laughs> Landed here. I had met some guys that sell the sailboat over. Okay. And they're like, we have a place on Maui. Come on over. Well, be careful what you say to me because I show up. Yeah. You know, I'm going on vacation. Where are you going? You want to come? Sure. I will show up. Um, I came. I just packed the suitcase and came here. It's water. Yeah. I loved I loved Hawaii from the first day I landed here. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I kind of want to live in two places now. Yeah. I like culture and there's more I'm interested in. But this is home. Yeah. Yeah. In that time, so you said you came here right out of high school. So I'm assuming you're 17, 18 or 18, 19-ish. I think I was 19. Okay. I spent a year trying to do a job. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I did spend a year going, oh, I'm going to give it a shot. My, for, just for my mom. For my mom, I did that. Yeah. And like the year to that date, I, I was like, I'm done. And suitcase. So you, you're out here. Um, so I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes on the island. Yeah. And especially like we were just talking about fish. I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes in the coral here. Can you talk a little bit about about that because I'm sure it was much more vibrant when you first arrived. Oh, yeah. Oh, it has changed so much. The whole island has. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, um, it's hard to see. Yeah. Um, the fish have gone mostly. The coral has died. The pandemic was amazing because I saw it all come back to life. Yeah. So seeing what 20 plus, let's see, 30 been here like 35 years or so from what it was during the pandemic it came back and within three months it went away it's very hard to see Mm -hmm. that's why I'm in love with Mexico now because I go down there and things are alive yeah and I'm just like oh my god that's what it's supposed to look like and I can't wait to get to Fiji and 
other tropical places because the reefs are still alive. We, yeah. We've let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm hoping, I was hopeful during the pandemic we'd come back a little more environmentally conscious and yeah. protect it, but we haven't. What do you see as, and maybe if we're getting out of your arena, you know, just let me know, but what do you see as the biggest environmental impact right now to the coral here? Is it the sunscreen of the tourists when they're not wearing the right one? It, what is the biggest impact or just over tourism where we have too many people in the water? I think um, the sunblock is a big one and it's everybody. It's not just tourists. People here True. are using it as well. Um, we do have a ban about to go in effect yep. shortly. We've, it kind of was starting during the pandemic, so no one heard about it, <laughs> but we're getting there. Um, but it's not enough. It's the pesticides. Oh, it's, yes. it's the golf yeah. courses and the hotels and even the average person using pesticides. But we could probably go more to the hotels and golf course because they use more. Yes. You know, but we're all using things that could be better for the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be an activist here, but we're not protecting it. Right. You know, and sunblock is a big one. That was the first thing I noticed when we opened up was a little film of sunblock on the surface was Mm -hmm. back. Like I do not use it. Mm -hmm. My thing is rash guard. Yeah. Go early morning. If you want to not wear it late in the afternoon, if you don't want to wear it, but any other time I cover up and protect myself, Mm -hmm. but you put this stuff in the ocean and yeah, it's, it's bad. Yeah. I spot a new rash guard too. <laughs> I'm going to the water. <laughs> I can't wait till you get back in the water. Uh, me too. One of the things that, and I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, that really attracted me to your work was the hula dancers in the water. What inspired focusing on paying tribute to the Hawaiian culture here? Well, first of all, my kids are half Hawaiian, Mm -hmm. and I just, uh, as soon as I started going into the art side, all I wanted to do is make hula dancers underwater, and I'm looking for some new people. I've I've got a whole thing for this year I want to do, but the only other person I've seen do hula dancers really well is Randy J. Braun, and when he saw my work, he was even on Facebook, he was really like, keep doing it, keep doing it. there's something to me about, I've lived here, but I'm still, I hate to say it, an outsider here. I'm not Hawaiian per se, right? Mm-hmm. Even though I spent more than half my life, my kids are raised here and everything. I try to respect the culture so much. Mm-hmm. And one of my best sellers is my son underwater, who's, I'm finally making money off him, yay. <laughs> um, we'll post a picture of yeah. it so people can see, yeah. <laughs> but to really show the culture the way I see it too. Like not just to a hula dancer, like you've seen hula dancers on the beach or on a stage or in a, on, at a river. I wanted to just really show the, the culture in that the Hawaiians are about the ocean and the land. Mm-hmm. It's not just water and it's not just land. And they're working together with the two. You know, you teach a man to fish, you feed him for life, you know, that kind of thing. You yeah. know, they, they'll take care of the land, you're going to eat. So showing that underwater is calming and relaxing, and I put the hula down there to mm. what the land to me is the the reflection and the chaos that's up above, you know, yeah. and trying to bring and marry the two together in a different way that hasn't been done. And it's fun to see people see it. Or yeah. when they look at it and they can't quite figure it out. And then you go, oh, it's underwater. And like, oh, 
And then they see it and they're like, oh my, you know, and it's really fun to show something different and also for it to be accepted. Yeah. You know, because I've had a lot of the Kubu and different people have seen my work. Uluvehi saw it. I was at the Festival of the Arts and a lot of the, the old timers came up and were like, wow, like that's a, just a wow. I don't care if they bought it, but hearing wow. Yeah. It was like they saw it and just nobody's doing anything to really show that. Mm-hmm. So. It is, the images are very stunning. And I, in, in my humble opinion, I'm not an art critic by any means, but it does what you're intending it to do of pull people in and go, I want to know more mm-hmm. about this culture. I want to know why she shot it underwater. And then when you come with the answer of how, how tied to the water Hawaiians are, but also to the land, it, it does it does exactly what you've intended it to do, which well, thank you. Which it doesn't happen maybe as often as it should in art. Art's still new to me. This has been a new genre for me to be playing in. I never knew I was an artist. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm really doing this. I, that was my next question. Yeah. Is you was that kind of a turning point for you when you started to do the hula dancers? Of I want to focus more on art versus my commercial photography yep i wanted art i just something about i was coming back from a mermaid retreat and i my photos look like everyone else's i just same thing again i'm just like and i was just how am i going to change this and it has been so awesome to pivot this way yeah and then i'm a film i came from film so you shot it right in the camera. You don't use Photoshop, right? Yeah. And now I'm like using Photoshop, you yeah. know? And then I'm going back and like, well, you know, Ansel Adams did dodge and burn. It's the same thing in Photoshop. I'm trying to talk myself into this, you yeah. know, because you want it right in the camera. But then I realize I'm doing it right in the camera. I get the image I want in the camera. I get the reflection right. And then I tell a story. Mm-hmm. And being able to tell a story from that image and pull energy into it. I, I'm still shocked to myself. I'm still like, wow, I did that, you yeah. know? And I, and I literally will do a piece and I step back and I come back a couple of days later. I'm like, it's done. I don't yeah. need to go, you know, don't go too far, you know? Like mm-hmm. one thing with Photoshop I've never liked is like, just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? So right. keep it, people look at it and think it's a painting. That's what I want. They can't mm. believe it's a photograph. Mm. Why now make that transition more to... I don't want to say pigeonhole, but kind of take on more of that label of artist versus just photographer and not, I don't mean just in a a demeaning way, but what is changing in your life that, that really makes you want to focus on the artistic side of things? Well, the pandemic helped and then Mm -hmm. the cancer helped. Um, My kids are all grown now. The pandemic had me downsized the studio. The office is gone. I, Paid off all my bills. I'm now like minimalist, and it gave me that freedom that I don't need to make this much money. Yes, I want to one day. Yeah. But it gave me that option of what's really important to me. Mm. I want to do things that have meaning. And don't get me wrong, I still love shooting a wedding. I got one tonight. But the only part about the wedding I really love is the people's reaction to their images. Mm. That's my favorite part. Yeah, not the only part, but my favorite part. So that puts me into the art because 
I like the reactions I get, whether someone buys it or not. It's the energy, it's the emotion that I can pull from somebody that feeds me to keep go- to keep doing it. Yeah. So I want to keep doing it, and I also don't want my art just anywhere. I want to be. I want the energy of good people, good good venues, good galleries, good. You know, it needs to have that spirit to go with it. Yeah. And. I'm going to keep doing it. It it is, it's been very hard for me to say I'm an artist. Don't get me wrong. I spent the whole year during cancer doing that one little show at the Fairmont Mm, just to learn how to talk to people and uh, admit to myself I'm an artist. Yeah. To be so, yes, I'm an artist. Instead of, oh, (laughs) I'm a photographer. I know that. Yeah. But now I'm an artist. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been an interesting change, but the way that this universe has given us given me and everything that's happened it just opened the doors to this is what I want to do yeah I'm gonna do it you mentioned shooting with film Mm -hmm. so you've transitioned throughout your photography career from film to digital can you talk a little bit about that transition and do you ever still shoot film I don't still shoot film but I have one camera and one day I would like to yeah it's just that you know got to make a living. Right, yeah. <laughs> and film's going to be when I have the dark room and I can just, like, don't have to do anything anymore if I don't want to, right? Right. Because um, I'd want to process it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, film, every shot was like a dollar in your head, right? So if I shoot a wedding, I have 36 shots for an hour, right? That's all I get. So you just did it right. Going to digital, it opened up that door to shooting more, right? Mm-hmm. Overshooting. Which then taught me not to overshoot, just because you could doesn't mean you should. It was wonderful in the sense of I was able to see my images. I could figure out the settings. I could change the light. I could literally change my exposures and see it happening in the camera. That was Mm. wonderful, right? The little dots going off, like, uh uh-oh, overexposed. Bring them back down. I used it to learn. And then once I learned that, I went back to get it right in the camera. Mm-hmm. I don't want to overshoot. I want to still shoot that way digitally as you do film. Because the hard part about going to digital is I am now the lab. Right. I used to drop the film off at the lab and pick it up in a couple of days. I'd go have dinner. I didn't worry about it. It was done. Yeah. Now I'm running to the computer. And like any of my jobs, I haven't done in 48 hours. So I get there and I... You know, you're going through a thousand images. I'm like, this used to be three rolls of 36. Like, yeah. bring it down, you know. So I am now the dark room, and it takes more time. And I am very proud of this, though. People are like, how can you turn it in 24 hours? And it's because I don't overshoot. I get it right in the camera, and you can see your images tomorrow. Mm. You know, but a lot of people shoot 10,000 photos at a wedding. Like, uh-uh, I don't have time for that. I think that's such great advice too to young photographers or people who maybe want to get into that of save yourself some time and and pretend like it's film and try to get the shots right the first time takes a lot of time to go through a thousand images when you could go through 50 right when i train somebody and they're first on the job and they're just carrying gear i'll give them a camera and say you can take 20 photos set make them good because someone did that to me and mine was 20 photos, I think it was 10 or 20, one each day. So you had to watch the light. Wow. You had to sit here like, I know I want to shoot that treehouse over there. 
What time of day do I want to put? What's the image I want to have when I'm done? And you had to look at it. And then if you missed it, because the light's different tomorrow, like, when are you going to take that shot? Mm -hmm. So slowing down, I always have a slow down and just get it right. Yeah. You know, there are exceptions. You want to catch a bird in flight, burst away. You got to get it. Good luck yeah. with that, right? So you, there's exceptions. Like, learn the rules and then break the ones that need to be broken, yeah. right? Yeah. So digital. I think the biggest part of digital that I don't like is I'm the lab. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then the other side, I kind of like being the lab. It's a catch yeah. too. Yeah. When did you start with photography? In... 20, uh, 2000. Yep. And what got you interested in doing photography? Um, I had small kids back then, and my friend, couple friends on the beach were shooting all the time, and I really wanted to shoot. I couldn't afford a camera, and I really wanted to shoot. And, and then my life changed, and I was going through a divorce, and I was trying to find a real job because I had a landscape business. And then I was like, my neighbor came over and is a photographer. I said, do you want to try photography with me today? I didn't go to the job interview. I picked up the camera and I was like, just invested, started going with it. It's like, it was a, to me, that was a sign. I didn't need that job at the airlines. Yeah. I went and got a camera and I haven't stopped. And that was in 2000. One thing that I love about, uh, I loved about our conversation last week was you've always worked independently or started your own business or what what was that in you that or or maybe you did have fear when you were doing those things but so many people are in the mindset of I've got to get a nine to five I got to be you know if I'm going to go to school to be a lawyer I got to be a lawyer doctor teacher it has you know it has to have a title and it has to be this way because it is scary to go out on your own and just trust that whatever you put your energy towards will generate enough for you to survive yeah it's it's a tough one it definitely is but I had a a job right out of high school before I moved here and I was so bored I got to do eight hours and there's only two hours worth of work don't do that to me yeah I want to do my two hours and leave I have better things I can be doing and that's when I started doing that's when I became an entrepreneur mm -hmm. I started typing dissertations for people at the hospital. I started doing all these extra jobs at my job because I only had two hours worth of work. Yeah. So I filled it with six more hours that I got paid more for. Yeah. Like I doubled my income. And I, I just, I, I can't work for someone if I'm not working. I don't want to milk the clock. Like you mm. give me two hours of work, I want to be gone. And granted throughout my, my many years now, there's a couple of times where I've went and gotten a job for like a six month period and put that in my brain because I needed to pay some bills and this wasn't working. Cause mm -hmm. sometimes you got to do what you don't want to do. And sometimes I've gathered cans and turned them into the recycling. You know, you do what yeah. you got to do. Yeah. Keep on clipping. I've been there. Um, but I'm a big fan of trusting in myself. Even when I doubt myself, I always come back to trusting it. Mm -hmm. I just took a big plunge this week. Yeah. And I haven't worked in over three years, really. Like, I just spent a ton of money on new gear, knowing that this is what I do and pour my heart into it and go after it, and it's going to happen. Yeah. And then the phone rang today, yesterday, and I got three more jobs this week. I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. <laughs> be careful what you ask for, right? Yeah. But I just, working for someone, I'm not against it, but I love working for myself. Mm -hmm. I, 
I had someone working for me at one time that wanted to partner. I'm like, you're not going to want to partner with me because I do. Th- I shoot from the hip. I decide I'm going to do it and it's going to work. I don't have a reasoning. A lot of times I don't have any calculations. I yeah. just know I'm going to make it work. Yeah. So you don't want a partner like me if you're, if you're you know, you need a graph and you need it statistics <laughs> because I just feel it and I go. And yes, I have failed a few times mm-hmm. that you learn from failure. Yeah. You know, right now I want the new housing to go with the new camera I bought. And I'm sitting here going, I got to learn how to use that camera first. Let's wait, let's wait, let's wait, let's wait. If I was working and had good things happening as far as been working the last few years, I probably would have bought it. But mm-hmm. I'm like, I got to learn it. Yeah. So I'm a little cautious, but not too much. And I just go from my gut on most of this stuff. Yeah, it's worked. I bought a house, put a kid through college. You know, it's, it's so far so good. What advice would you give to somebody just starting out in photography or somebody that oh, I love this question? Yeah, that loves <laughs> photography and, and maybe wants to try to do it as a career work for free. Mm. Go old school. That's how I learned. I worked for free. I carried gear for people. I learned how to. They were so nice that they taught me how to clean my cameras. They taught me everything I needed to know. This is a free education. Yeah. You know, I have people come in and want to be an assistant, and they want a lot to be an assistant, and their photos are junk. Mm. I get them home, and I basically just let the client know there was two photographers there, but I never use any of their images sometimes. Work for free. You're going to get an education. Find someone that you think is amazing at their job and show up. Yeah. Learn it. Mm-hmm. You know, like with me, anyone I've taught, I don't care if they go off and do the same job. You're hiring a person right. that goes with the work, right? So I feel like if I taught you and I didn't learn more, if I don't keep up with you, that's my bad. Right. Keep going, you yeah. know? And I'm, next thing you know, I'll be asking them questions. Like there is a guy here that I'm like, Hey, <laughs> yeah. I just bought your camera. What do you, how do you do this? You know, and he had worked for me for free yeah. and then got better in some areas than me, you know, and it's wonderful to see. Yeah. But the ones that just want to, you just want to make a quick buck and, you know, and value your work would be the other thing. Mm. I'd rather shoot for free and give it away than to charge nothing like a hundred bucks for my job. Like, make it valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, it hurts the other photographers. It hurts the business. You know what I mean? Yeah. But my main thing is work for free. Yeah. You know? That's such great advice because nobody does that anymore. Just the best education. Mm-hmm. I learned most of my photography working for free. Yeah. I did a job in California for a photographer. I got paid $350 for an eight-hour gig. I flew myself in. I worked my off yeah but i learned like i should have yeah. paid him yeah you know but i got 350 dollars later on he paid me 2000 to shoot his daughter's wedding there you years go. later yeah. so it pays off yeah but if you if you're charging someone and you keep asking for more and more and more they're not going to teach you anything mm-hmm. what is an artist's responsibility within the community they're in and I like asking artists that question because you get a lot of different responses, but especially here where we talked a little bit about the Hawaiian culture earlier, but what do you feel like is your responsibility here in this community as an artist? I think that the art is, is creating your communities. Like photographers in like 
the genre of weddings, fine portraits, don't seem to want to share mm. and, and, and be together on anything. I'm finding the artists are being a little more open, you know, because no one seems to be intimidated by the other person's work because we're all so different. Where yeah. a wedding is a wedding is a wedding, right? So maybe that's what that is. But in the art community for me, I joined the Heine Art Society this three or four months ago. And I am networking and I'm meeting like-minded people. And we're putting together a website for, you know, a group of, of artists to help promote each other and spread the word, you know, and work together in some kind of co-op, you yeah. know. So I think that's a big part to me with being in the art, like, I don't want to just be me. Mm. I, I'm ready to have friends, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. others you could collaborate with. And yeah. in the last month, my passion, like I said, has been ignited. Like, I'm in two groups now, one in the UK, one in California. Nothing here yet. But, well, wait, no, there is one here now. Yeah. I have to send them some photos. Like, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> but they invited me into their group now for, for artists, not, mm -hmm. not weddings and stuff. But it's just really you know, sharing this stuff and helping each other and yeah. succeeding together, but separately. That makes sense. Yeah. I see that. I think that's what I'm loving about this art. What does 2023 look like for you when you're looking ahead? Oh, party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am so ready for 2023. Yeah. Not just to leave the, the, the year of surgeries and chemo and all this I've been poked so many times I'm not afraid of needles year yeah. you know uh, loss of hair waiting for it to grow back um, I'm really excited going into 2023 because I feel like it's going to be like my year like mm. I don't I think I expect anything crazy but it's like going into it knowing that this is somewhat behind me I know I have to watch for it for the rest of my life for the most part I have to get on it right but my arms will start working again. You know, my body will get back in shape. You know, I was always, you know, just the, the energy that's shifting, the, the artwork that I'm like planning already. Like I have stuff in my head I want to do. So yeah. 2023 is just opening up again. Choices. We talked about that last week. It's like I have choices now. Like mm. I felt like I had none for a while. Like yeah. my choice was to like wake up and watch TV and heal like it was yeah. all about just that was it i stayed here now i'm like oh i could go here and i can go there and do i want to go there so i have all these choices coming in 2023 and all these things coming to me in 2023 that are happening now for 2023 so i'm really excited to move forward yeah so i've been stagnant for three years you know with we all have for a couple yeah. years but this pivot that's happened through it all I'm excited. Mm -hmm. you know? Me too. I'm excited to see the artwork that comes out of 2023, especially mm -hmm. along this idea of choices. I think, yeah. I think whatever comes is going to, when we see it as the viewers, is going to really inspire us too. I'm, I'm excited. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, to wrap up our conversation today, one question that I love to ask all our guests um, is, because we sat down and had a conversation today, mm -hmm. but... If you could sit down with anyone, living or dead, who would you love to sit down and have a conversation with? Yes, I was dreading this, this <laughs> question. I keep going. You only said it to me yesterday, so it gave me some I thoughts. <laughs> but it was like, Ansel Adams keeps popping in my head. Mm -hmm. um, I love his work. I love his passion. You know, um, I was thinking about it. 
he, how did he, at first I was like, how did he keep his passion? He was kind of just shooting scenics, right? Yeah. But then it comes down to the light changing and everything that happens within that, you know, the time of year, what's going on. It's like those questions I'd love to ask, you know, is why he chose this over this and, and how to use that camera. Like, I feel like I don't know the camera anymore because it, it was film and, and why he chose, like, how did you do that? You know, I'm doing a little bit in Photoshop now, but I never got to process my film. Mm -hmm. I look forward to processing film and I want to learn from somebody who's not around. Like, could you show me how to do this? Yeah. Because I think film is just yummy. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I researched a, a group called Film Is Not Dead for a long time and I love that group. Um, had a girl working for me that loved it and I supported her and bought her light meters and here go go now I want it back it's yeah. like I want to learn that stuff and yeah. and I'd only touched on it when I got into photography I only had a couple years in film and I just think film is yummy and it's like I think he'd be the best teacher of you know getting out there before the sun comes up or getting out there before it goes down or picking the situations and mm. I don't know plus back then there were no rules you can photograph in a park yeah, you know, and I need a permit. Like, right. Rolls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'd like to get to know him, I think. Yeah. Yeah. If people want to see your work or want to commission you for a piece, how do they get a hold of you? Where can they find your stuff? Give me a call. Okay. <laughs> um, you can go to my website, which you can share, CassiePolly.com. Uh, has information there. I love, especially if you want a commission piece, whether it's a piece of a hula dancer or yourself, mm -hmm. you know, there's different ways I go about each of them. So you can find me there. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me at Lahaina Art Society Gallery. You can find me at Turnbull Gallery and Maui Ocean Center. Those are the three places I've chosen right now to be at. And who knows where I'll be other than that. <laughs> Perfect. I'll link to all of those things in the show notes, too, so our listeners can check that out. But thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Um, I just I really appreciate you taking the time to share uh, your journey over the past three years with us. Thank you. Thank you for being a listener of Conversation Mill. The podcast is growing, but we need your continued support in the form of comments, likes, and subscriptions. If you've enjoyed even one episode, please take two minutes to comment under the episode or the podcast itself, or rate the podcast. Hitting the subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast helps tremendously. Every like and subscribe helps me support local businesses and local nonprofits by giving them a platform to tell their stories. Together, we can foster the understanding, diversity, and economies that make our individual communities flourish while creating our own community here at Conversation Mill. Also, you can join us at conversationmill.substack.com where you can become a member and receive weekly member-only content, including member-only episodes. I look forward to sharing a new conversation with you next week. And as always, thank you for your support.